You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Chris Isaac, who is the marketing manager at SafeStake, which is a decentralized staking protocol for Ethereum running on what is known as DVT or distributed validator technology. Chris, a very warm welcome to the show from both Nikhil and myself. Yes, thank you guys uh for having me on today. I really appreciate it. So, before we start our discussion on SafeStake, uh can you tell our audience a little bit about your background? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh I'm a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to crypto. I really only started learning about it uh back in 2020. Uh so a little later than than some. Uh and Ethereum instantly drew me in. I liked its utility, the potential for it to become the foundation for Web3 and and change the structure of the internet from centralized to decentralized. So that's uh what what got me really interested in Ethereum. And then almost as soon as I heard about staking uh being available, I decided I was going to run a mainnet validator. So uh i i began uh, acquiring eth uh, to do that and i uh once i got the 32 eth i uh you know uh created a mainnet validator uh this process connected me with the people that would eventually become ssv and i began writing some of the first content about dvt for uh their publications their blog their website socials technical documents things like that. And then uh after some time there I learned about uh SafeStake which is uh uh what we're going to talk about today a, a different DVT solution. Uh and it's focused on really empowering solo stakers uh to take part and participate in staking. And I really decided that aligned better with my personal vision for DVT, so the rest is history. I'm here talking with you guys today. about safe stake. Great. Thanks for sharing your background with us Chris. So, uh to now move on to the company that that you're working with today that is Safe Stake. Uh so looking at your website, Safe Stake is a trust minimized middle layer for secure decentralized Ethereum staking. Could you for our audience uh in simple words walk us through what is Safe Stake? what is distributed validator technology and why somebody would need to use it is it to achieve more decentralization or is there a greater staking return uh, that they would get so if you could start off by giving an overview of what safe stake is uh, that would be great yeah sure krishna um that's a great question of course um i think it's important before explaining what safe stake is in particular to uh look at you know what dvt is for those that that don't necessarily know what that is so dvt is distributed validator technology and it's this 
concept, if you will, not any particular implementation, but a concept of allowing an Ethereum validator to run on multiple nodes rather than a single node uh, to distribute its operations. So it allows for validators to avoid the single points of failure they currently are prone to, like uh, being offline and getting penalties for missed attestations. Key is always needed online, the private key, in order for it to sign messages. So uh, DVT is, sort, is a mitigating factor for those shortcomings that uh, are kind of built into the protocol. Uh, not on purpose, in a, in, a, in a bad way, if you will, for users, but to secure the network, that's the way it does it. And uh, uh, validators are really just mandated to run on a single node versus uh, a fault-tolerant distributed uh, way. So SafeStake is a particular implementation of DVT. There, there's several out there. Uh, we are one of them. Um, and again, we are we're focused on solo and retail stakers from a um, a user standpoint in that regard with kind of turnkey solutions and maximizing staking rewards, uh, keeping those validators online. And those benefits are also, they also apply to institutions, but um, really there we're talking about more along the lines of decentralizing those operations uh, rather than necessarily the same benefits that the solo and retail stakers are looking for. So, so you mentioned uh, in the in uh, you mentioned that uh, there are other DVT uh, providers out there. So maybe uh, you could talk a little bit about what makes SafeStake different. Why why would why would anybody come to SafeStake versus another DVT? Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, that's a great question. SafeStake does have several differences uh, from other uh, DVT solutions. It's written from the ground up in Rust, so it's uh -huh. excellent in performance, its security is better, um, single nodes, single operator nodes can support up to 200 validators, um, and uh, it also supports client diversity, that idea of decentralization as it operates on top of Lighthouse, which is a minority mm -hmm. client at the time being. Uh, a couple of other differences. Uh, uh, some of the other solutions use IBFT, QBFT for fault tolerance, uh, Byzantine fault tolerance. We use hot stuff in the background for our operator committee consensus. So mm -hmm. uh, when uh, so with DVT, yeah, something uh, that's important, uh, only uh, it essentially takes a validator key and it splits it into four key shares. Um, and now that those four key shares uh, will run the validator instead of the private key itself, uh, there's some, some really interesting and cool things that go on. So fault tolerance is introduced in the sense that only three out of four of those nodes or key shares are needed to sign 
messages or attest on uh, the behalf of the validator. Uh, mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that for security, um, this prevents any one operator from going rogue and stealing the key or, you know, stealing funds, doing some things that they shouldn't do. So it provides that fault tolerance and a higher level of security, uh, right. which is, which is kind of cool there. So along those lines, we found that hot stuff, uh, again, going back to hot stuff versus IBFT or QBFT, uh, when three out of four operators are attesting and one of them's offline, uh, maybe they have to perform some maintenance, things like that, the validator's uh, performance rate is better. Um, right. Uh, right? So that, that's, that's good for the staker. Yeah. Um, Additionally, uh, we've built in liquid staking in some stages that will come further down the road. So in the future, uh, we'll have a liquid staking pool uh, in stage two. Uh, we are going to lower the threshold to four ETH and, uh, you know, allow more people to participate there through mini pools and pool validators. And okay. stage three will drop that even lower down to 0 0.1 ETH. So, 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 so uh, what is, uh, we are at stage one right now, right? That's right. Uh, so what, what is the uh, Ethereum deposit at stage one? So at stage one, it is a deposit into the Beacon Chain contract of 32 ETH. You get your, you create your validator, you get your key store file, and you import it into SafeState. Uh, for the DVT benefits uh, that, okay. that it offers to that validator. So you're really not staking into safe stake right now, uh, but you, right. you, you will have the opportunity to do that uh, down the road, and the, the, the staking threshold will then, uh, you won't need 32 ETH. Uh, to participate. Right. So, so right now, so I, I think this is a good, good point in which we can kind of step back and kind of like talk about how this whole thing works, right? So, sure. uh, uh, maybe I could kind of like uh, give you my understanding and, uh, you kind of, uh, help me uh, figure it out. So as I see it, there are, you talked about the validator and, uh, in, in, the, in the case of SafeStake, the validator is essentially the customer. And uh, then there is another entity that is uh, the operator. And the operators are the ones that are running the safe stake nodes. And they form a committee, uh, a committee of four operators basically act together on behalf of a single validator to perform the validator's duties, right? So and the validator's duties being that uh, they participate in the validation of uh, Ethereum blocks on the mainnet. Uh, and this is basically uh, done on the Beacon node, which is the main uh, Ethereum node as as of Ethereum version 2. Is, is this kind of a pretty high-level kind of an overview? Uh, have I made any big mistakes so far? Not at all. That's a, that's an excellent uh, description. Okay. Cool. So, so, so digging into it, perhaps maybe you could start with the operators and uh, the validators and the difference between them, right? So from a business perspective, uh, the operators are the ones that are actually going to do the actions required to do the signing of the 
the validator, uh, the sorry, the signing of the blocks and uh, validating the actual validation of the blocks, etc. And you said that there's a committee, and then the committee basically has a consensus, which is the uh, BFT consensus that you talked about. As so, my my first question would be, okay, so what are they having consensus on? So what what are they agreeing to do? Yeah, right. So the operators in the background are essentially agreeing to what the validator would normally sign. So it gets its request from the beacon chain just as it would normally, right? Uh And then in the background, instead of the validator private key uh, working that that process out and returning a signature, Mm -hmm. instead those key shares are going to come together to essentially impersonate the validator private key Mm -hmm. and do its work for it, but it only needs three of the four, not four of the four. Okay. Okay. So you get a consensus of at least three, and and they can do the work. So, But what about the actual validation itself, right? So there is... So the, the function of the validator is to... Uh, go through all the transactions in the block and make sure that you know there is no double spend and there's no, there's no any of these uh, there's no malicious activity etc. Right. Is that done by the validator or is that done by the operator? Well, okay. So let's let's look at it this way. So to explain kind of how it works is the key is split and the key can then go away. It could be stored offline in a cold wallet. Right. And now one share, uh, four, you got four shares. One share goes to each operator in the committee. Mm-hmm. And those, those shares again are coming together to be the validator. Right. So uh, talking in terms of just pure like computing uh, machines, right? So mm-hmm. these three validators, they have machines and these machines basically agreed and have come to a consensus and then they provided a key uh, signature and they've got the block with them, right? What about the actual validation of the block? Uh, Is that also part of the operator's job? Is that done by the operator machine? Or does the operator then pass that block over to the validator and say, hey, uh, we've done the signing and we've given it to you. Now now you validate it or uh, how does that work? Well, yeah, the operators still handle all that because there is okay. no actual validator per se. Right. The valid, yeah, the validator key is offline now, so that the okay, validator so is key no... is the validator. Okay, I get it. Yeah. So, so, yep. that, so basically, the operators are actually doing all of this impersonating a validator. So instead of one one entity with one machine that's sitting over here and doing all the validator jobs, it's this, these three machines, right? So Yeah, th- yep, three or four. So, so what happens if there is a, a disagreement between the operators as to, uh, you know, the validity of a node, of, of a block? So let's say, that's a great question. Let's say there is a compromised node. Somebody yeah. gets one of those four nodes and wants to do something they shouldn't do. Oh, no, actually, my question is even before that, right? Okay. What if they get a block, right? And uh, one validator says, hey, no, it's not passing the validation or I suspect a double spend. 
and uh, one other validator says that no, this is not a double spend. So yeah, perhaps maybe one of them is taken over or two of them are taken over. Yeah, it would really have to be a compromise situation. Otherwise, they're always going to work in harmony as if they were the private key. So there should yeah, never true. be a disagreement. Uh, yep, that's true. There would have to be somebody who got into one of those private key shares and, you know, tried yeah, to yeah. do something they shouldn't. And then right. the other three are going to override that that one. Okay. So basically what we are increasing is we are increasing or rather we are increasing the security by four times because if they if somebody with malicious wanted to take over that node uh, that validator they would actually have to compromise four operator nodes. They'd have to compromise three. Oh right, sorry. Yep. Yeah. If they yeah, compromise okay. three they could produce a signature. Yes. That's uh, yes, okay. correct. Yep. Right. And, yep. and and just a question. So the key shares that go to the four operators, is that at random? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, to, to be completely transparent with you, I'm not entirely sure how the protocol distributes the key shares to, to the particular operators that are chosen. If it's random or you know, if the first one you choose gets the first key share, always okay. Uh, but but you do that have I'm a not choice, right? Sure, you you as a staker, you always have a choice of who the four operators are that that attest for you. Right. Correct. Got it. Yep. Okay. Cool. So again, speaking from the operator perspective, right? Uh, and a single operator might be having pieces of multiple validator keys, right? So you'd have like, say, one operator has the validator keys of a, uh, of shares of a validator keys of, of maybe a 10 or 15 validators or 100 validators, whatever. Right. So does that mean that uh, they're almost continuously going about uh, doing validations for all the blocks? Because at, at some point, one of those validators would be uh, chosen to do the do the blocks for that particular epoch, right? Yeah, right. So they're always all attesting, right? And then there's of course um, uh, block proposals, uh, which are which are of course much more rare than you know every epoch. We've got every validator attesting, but yes, to answer your question, that's part of the the beauty of safe stake is that it reduces the uh, overhead, the operational overhead significantly for a node where let's say a piece of hardware could, any given piece of hardware or with the spec that could run 10 to 15 validators, let's say. Uh, if you take that same spec machine, that same exact machine and put, uh, run the safe stake operator node instead of 10 to 15 validators, you could run 150 to 200. Right. So that's part of what it does is reduce that overhead. Nice. So that it can do that constant computation for that amount of validators and still be efficient. Okay. So this is this makes sense. So we have the operators. So uh, now let's move on to the validator. So... I'm user, uh, I'm user A or I'm Nikhil and I, uh, uh, I'm excited about joining the Ethereum validation, uh, business. And so I 
want to sign up? What do I need to do to join the SafeStake Validator Network? Okay, got it. So I think maybe let's take a step back to your question before about like the difference, the specific differences between operators and validators. Sure. Uh, so the operators can join SafeStake by simply running a hardware node. Uh, you don't need any ETH. Uh, you just need the hardware. You download our software. Uh, if your machine is to spec and will run it or a better spec, then you can uh, attest on behalf of, you know, your own validator if you'd like or other people's, but you don't need any ETH. You just have to run that node. Uh, right. For the validator itself, and again, remember those operators are doing the work for validators, so what's in it for them? A service fee at the end of the month. The staker who wants to, who has the 32 ETH and wants mm -hmm. to run a distributed validator will then pay the operators in his committee with our token. Uh, uh, we could talk about that more later, but yeah. the validator really only needs two things. They need, in safe stake stage one, they need 32 or, you know, 33, let's say, for gas. And uh, they need uh, 120 of our DVT tokens uh, per month to pay their, uh, their operator committee. Right. Okay. And then they can join. It's just uh, they create their validator on the Ethereum, uh, you know, using the Ethereum launchpad. Uh, they get their key store file and they drag and drop it into the web interface. The key never touches our servers, never stored anywhere. That takes care of the splitting process securely and the key shares. And then, and then when they actually choose those operators and hit the next button, there go those shares, right? right. And, and that's, uh, that, that's how that works. So, so is there like a safe stake wallet or something where the rewards would be put or how, how does that work? Okay, so you're talking, so for validators, it's just a yield off the beacon chain and they're yeah. just going to get those rewards as they would any other beacon chain validator. For the operators, yes, there's a, there's a, you know, a dashboard in the back that's got their, you know, their their fees that they've collected and all of that. And then in the future, when you are staking into the safe stake liquid staking contract in stages two and three, then there'll be a yield, you know, inside the the validator portion because, uh, you know, you need that to okay. see your 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 earnings. You're you're not you're not kind of holding on to the uh, ETH and the uh, yield of the validator directly you're just depending on the validator to kind of convert a part of that ETH into the amount of safe stake uh, that is needed for rewarding the operators the no the the user the val the staker themselves the validator uh, runner if you will uh, the uh -huh. person who wants to do that be a validator they are responsible for sort of you know buying our token and having enough in their balance. There is no sort of auto conversion of ETH into that for, okay. you have to make sure that, that that's in your wallet. Right. And so if you're not, if you don't put, if you forget to put enough in your wallet, you basically get kicked out as being a validator. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't get kicked out. It's just that your operator committee, because they aren't being paid, stops a testing for you and your validator goes offline. Right, okay. Yep, yep. And as soon as you pay them again, they start up again, so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, your validator goes offline and you get the, uh, Ethereum basically punishes that, right? Yeah, you get a little penalty. It's not horrible. It's, you know. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So, uh, basically, from uh, the sounds of it, so what you've done is essentially taken all the mechanics and the software running and the hardware running away from the validator, and all I need to do is just get the appropriate amount of ETH and the appropriate amount of safe stake and uh, put it into the wallets, and I'm good to go. Uh, How do I get safe stake tokens? So our token is called DVT, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we got nice. that. And uh, yeah, right. And um, you can uh, currently, it is available on Uniswap V3. Right. Uh, so if you go to Uniswap V3, type in SafeStake or SafeStake DVT, you'll find us. The, the, currently, that's the only place to buy, sell, trade. Okay. Uh, but more are coming. Uh, we expect... You know, once we launch mainnet and there is, you know, more demand and people realize the utility, uh, we should probably, you know, be, be in line for some, some listings in other places. Right. So you, you got, you got, uh, swap pairs with Ethereum only or do you have it with other tokens as well? Right now it's, uh, wrapped ETH, wrapped ETH. So. Okay. Yeah. I don't believe there are other pairs but i could be wrong that isn't my specialty right right quick question over there since we're talking about the dvt token uh chris is is it used for anything other than you know paying to the operator committee like is there any other role for the token in the safe stake protocol yes maybe this is a good time to start talking about tokens yeah yeah that's a that's a great question it does have a dual utility at the at the at the moment uh there may be more future utilities built in uh but right now You've got the payment device as the main one, and then a secondary function as governance. So if you are a DVT token holder, you can go to our snapshot site, and there's governance proposals, and, uh, you know, uh, as new ones come up, uh, you know, we've, we've had several that have been voted on, but uh, as new ones come up, uh, for people listening to this, uh, if you are a holder, you can voice your opinion and help uh, shape the future of SafeStake. So uh, can you kind of give us an idea or a flavor of what kind of uh, governance proposals? Is it uh, just roadmap stuff or is it? does it also talk about, you know, like things like how much money distribution is done, etc.? Yeah, sure. Uh, so... We've had all kinds of proposals up there, but really the the mainstay of them so far have been related to token and rebranding and funds. So, yes, uh, the the funds that power the project, how will they be used for things like incentives and other things like that. So uh, I invite people to go check out the snapshot site and take a look. Cool. Uh, so uh, moving on, uh, so we have uh, the DVT tokens, and uh, uh, we've got this. It's going to be used for governance, soft chain, and uh, etc. 
So uh, how's the uptake been so far? I mean, I'm, I'm aware that you guys are uh, close to uh, coming out, uh, going live with stage one. Uh, can you give us uh, an idea of uh, how, so, how how your how's that progressing, and you know when when you're going to go live? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, we are currently test in the final stages of testing uh, stage one code. Uh, so again, the 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 import of a key store file, thirty two ETH deposit uh, for DBT. That is in the uh, final stages, it's on Holesky, and mm-hmm. uh, really, in in that regard, we are waiting for some metrics uh, on that test not to happen, and then we'll uh, begin a 30-day countdown to the private mainnet launch, uh, where there'll be a limited subset of validators and operator nodes, uh, you know, and... That is coming, I would say, in 45 to 60 days. Okay, that's great. So what kind of uh, challenges do you foresee or what kind of opportunities do you see uh, for stage one? What what are the criteria for you to be able to say, okay, this is uh, going well and uh, we should now proceed to stage two? Yeah, right. That's a great question. I, I believe... The answer to that is when we launch on the private mainnet, you know, we're going to be essentially proving the concept live, right? So we're, mm-hmm. you know, proving that these, the operators can indeed test for validators in a, in a group way and uh, test that. So I think. In that regard, we plan on running our private main net for around 60 days, and then we're going to open it up to the public. It'll become a public main net, and uh, that will run. I, I don't have I don't have the exact numbers. Uh, I would say probably six months plus. And then mm-hmm. once that is running very, you know, everything is, is perfect. Uh, you know, we, in the meantime, we're, we're further developing stage two. We roll that out for, uh, you know, uh, for, uh, the main net. But in the meantime, yeah. we're testing that all in the background while stage one is running on main net. Right. And, uh, okay. So as far as I can, um, from, from what you've said so far, uh, it looks like, at least from uh, Prima Facy, the main differences between the stages is the amount of stake that that you know a validator would need to uh, stake, and then you know because you you can have liquid staking further down and all that. Are there any other uh, functionalities? Uh, so, like for example, you know, do, does does the safe stake uh, mechanism? Uh, can it be leveraged by uh, level uh, L2 networks? Can it be used in other uh, blockchains? What is the feasibility of those things? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think uh, to your second question first, can it be used in other blockchains? At the moment, no. We're 100% focused on Ethereum and Ethereum validators and, and getting those distributed first, and then we'll look at 
validators that secure other proof of stake chains. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your first question, how can, you know, L2s, I'll say really it's more big staking providers that uh, can can utilize the technology not only for the distributed validators, but also for its ability. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this thing called distributed key generation. Right. So DKG, distributed key generation, it's a big thing in the in the DVT industry. Who can get it right? How's it doing? Is it is it actually working properly and all of that? And, and let me explain what it is to start. A lot of people think distributed key generation is that splitting of the validator key and sending those shares out to operators. And, and that is not really distributed key generation. That happens after the key, uh, has been, uh, it already exists. Distributed mm-hmm. key generation is this kind of nebulous thing that would allow multiple parties, in this case operators, operator nodes, to essentially come together and generate a private key together without any of them ever having knowledge of the key or the secret that's used to share the shares. Right. So that is DKG. And what that does for big staking providers is allows their node operators to work in a different way than they work now and remove the key security liability from those node operators because now none of them hold a key. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so that risk for them is instantly mitigated. But that's interesting, right? So if they are not holding the key and they're not holding any shards of the key? Uh, They're holding shares of the key. Okay. But they don't hold the key itself and they can't reproduce the signature on their own, which significantly reduces their liabilities. Yeah. So that, okay. So that's, so so the, the idea essentially is that they can't, but isn't that already what DVT does, that you can't create a signature on your own? You need at least three people, uh, three out of four. That is that is 100% true. That is the basically the base function of, of DVT. Uh-huh. But DKG, that ability to create that, that private key with multiple parties doing it through a ceremony is, uh, is, is something that is... It's part of DVT in the sense that it's it's needed when there's multiple depositors. So in the case of SafeStake, our DKG kicks in in stage two when there's liquid staking and mini pools and pooled validators. Now we've got many people contributing to that validator and we don't want any of them to be able to to do anything you know unilaterally on behalf okay. of that so validator. Basically, when you have multiple people forming one validator, right? So right now in stage one, uh, the validator has to put in 32 ETH because you want one entity to represent a validator. And in stage two and stage three, that kind of breaks out and now you have 
one person representing part of a validator. So basically, the idea would be the DKG would help them kind of be able to keep shares of keys of a private key that then can come together to generate the actual validator key. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, okay. The the other cool thing is, and I'll, I'll mention this, and uh, the other thing that, you know, as long as we're on this big staking provider, the large, large staking provider uh, topic, is uh-huh. that most of the large staking providers, uh, if, they, if they're run by a DAO, usually that DAO is responsible to cover any slashing instances. So they're on the line for that money, if it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our stage two, we introduced this unique, uh, nobody, else, nobody else has this, the, the ability for a node operator on our network to deposit four ETH and essentially kick off the mini pool. Uh, he will earn more of the staking rewards but he also assumes the liability for slashing, removing that liability from the large staking provider's DAO. Right. Okay. Okay. So we, we, we remove some liabilities here for big staking providers in addition to the DVT benefits, uh, you know, for the validators. And then I'm going to throw this in at the uh, now to sort of to sort of finish up this topic. I think in the sense that uh, there there's a there's a staking provider right now, very very big, uh, lots of business, lots of stakers, and they are approaching the 33 uh, percent mark as far as uh, their their validators that they control holding that much of the stake deep and and. This could be a problem for the network, and there's varying levels of uh, debate over, you know, how much of a of a threat could this really be, or, or maybe it's not. But but the real key here, I think, um, that DVT also offers is because we're decentralizing each validator uh, into four, and then who knows, maybe down the road more you know, six or eight or, or 12 uh, key shares, 12 node operators. You know, right now we're testing four and making sure that works properly mm-hmm. and smoothing all that out. But down the road, because these validators are so decentralized, the the it really won't matter how much stake any staking provider has or controls because the validators are so decentralized that it would be a miracle to coordinate that and and then and then somehow attack the network with it yeah it's it's like having a a pool of people uh come together and uh, act like one person yeah uh, yeah you know, it's uh in in theory it's great but uh we've seen democracy it doesn't really work that way yeah, yeah. In many cases, you know, you're right. So, so what what we do here is we basically take you basically minimize the threat, the potential threat that this huge amount of controlled stake has, and I think that's a huge one that sort of flies under the radar with DVT, but I think it's a huge benefit, 
and uh, we'll see how that plays out in the future. Right. So, yeah, okay. Uh, I think this kind of gives a good overview when we talked about the roadmap as well. So, obviously, uh, we've been doing this blockchain business for uh, quite a bit of time now. Uh, and uh, I'm actually curious because, Chris, you said that uh, you joined uh, the blockchain game a little late uh, in 2020. So, uh, I, I, I would be really interested to hear your take on uh, where you see this going, what's the larger Web3 picture, uh, and uh, you know uh, w- what does all of this lead to, right? So we've we're we're building all of the staking infrastructure. We're building Ethereum as this huge world computer. A- at the end, what do you see uh, as the uh, benefit to the world? Uh, that's that's an excellent question. Uh, I think from my standpoint, I see Ethereum as the layer one that sort of pushes the the change and you know layer twos come in and and make things more efficient and and maybe maybe do some things that layer one isn't able to do very well or you know that type of thing but i think in the end you know ethereum itself pushes the envelope toward a decentralized web that runs on decentralized apps where your wallet connects you and sort of opens that all in, you know, like, like secure logins and, you know, other things that are coming. Uh, and, and I see it, uh, as kind of a transactional base for, uh, you know, down the road, a nice payment layer and mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing. So I really see Ethereum uh, eventually being the foundation for, you know, how credit card transactions happen or, you know, maybe there won't be credit cards. It'll just be wallet to wallet. Your wallet will be your card kind of. And that's, you know, uh, I guess a very basic view um, but that's what got me excited. Uh, I, I love the idea of decentralization, although in some cases it can be an exercise in, in hurting cats and, and, you know, decentralization itself has its own set of issues, right? Yeah. Because there's no leader, you know, like you said, we yeah. all know it happens in some of those cases. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, let me approach this in another way, right? So, you know, w- w- what do you think you would say as, okay, if you see this running on blockchains, right? If you see this business or this application or this use case running on blockchains uh, successfully, uh, would that would you then say that, hey, okay, we've made it, blockchains are mainstream now? I think... DVT will push Ethereum closer to mainstream adoption than it's ever gotten before and will uh-huh. eventually help it achieve mainstream adoption because of the risks and the challenges and those things that it's that it removes to a very big degree for the institutions that will bring it into the mainstream. Okay, cool. So what what you're saying so is that DVT will push us to this world where 
payment rails become uh, all on Ethereum or all on a blockchain and uh, uh, credit cards uh, or, or transactions between uh, uh, digital transactions will all be running on, on, on payment rails. And that basically, when you see that, it will say, okay, yeah, now we have, this is, this is the mainstream. Yeah, right. Uh, because staking is the way for people to earn passive income on Ethereum. That's what the institutions want for their funds and other mm -hmm. things. But it's too risky for many of them to run single node Ethereum validators. It just is. And I think it's right. kept many away. And I think it's going to be difficult for a lot of people to understand this right off the bat. I think this is going to take a lot of education. You talk about the challenges that DVT faces, and I think one of them is is educating people what it is without getting too, too much in the weeds. weeds. Yeah, yes, yes, and and just telling them really what the benefits are, but having. Uh, simple examples and, and ways to sort of uh, show them what's going on without it turning into tech fest. Okay, so so let's take the the let's let's take the lens and kind of make it a little wider. Uh, we've been talking about Ethereum so far. Uh, how do you see the whole crypto ecosystem? Right. So we have Bitcoin. We have Ethereum. We have what have you all a bunch of cosmos uh, and a bunch of them right so how 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 do you see the future like do you see it going to be just ethereum and bitcoin or do you see it going to be just bitcoin or do you see it going to be ethereum bitcoin and a few others how how, how do you see this uh, play out in the future yeah i i think that is going to be the, 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 wow, I'd love to have that crystal ball. But my opinion um, is Bitcoin seems to be a, a money store, a digital gold, a, a place for people to sort of do that. And that's, and that's good, but I've never really gotten too far into Bitcoin. Uh, so. Okay. Uh, but I think Bitcoin will always be here to stay because it, it is the clear leader. It, it, it is what influences the market. Uh, Bitcoin is down. Right. So is pretty much every other crypto. So, right. you know, Ethereum could be uh, come out with the, the best thing in the world. And if Bitcoin is down, I still think Ethereum will, will go down that day. Hmm. So that that's here. Um but I don't see the same utility with Bitcoin that I see with Ethereum. So I see Ethereum for all of the things that I said before about it, uh, not, not to be redundant and repeat, but, you know, kind of foundational for dApps and, and Web3. Et Ethereum is for business uh, and Bitcoin is for, uh, you know, financial saving uh, uh, commodities. It yeah, yeah, I think that that could be a pretty good way to to sort of to sort of segregate the two, and I, I guess I never really thought about it that way, but good way to put it. And then right. I see the layer twos, uh, you know, your 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 other chains, basically doing things for Ethereum to make it faster, cheaper, better user experience. Okay. So you don't see them as co competition, really, 
it's more complementary. There was a time that I did, and now I see some of those competing chains as layer twos. Right. So, you know, it's cheaper to do stuff on Solana, but it's, you know, EVM. And so, you know what I mean? That, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally found it uh, kind of interesting that all of these other chains are all building uh, EVM uh, implementations. Yeah. Uh, which kind of kind of kind of gives the gives away the game right because then okay if you're doing you're going to build uh software that targets the evm then you're automatically kind of uh keeping ethereum inside the game so right uh, right and then and then quickly on this point which is maybe uh, for a follow up uh podcast or maybe after we launch on mainnet and there's more uh, there's more information and, and use case, actual use case around this, but the whole idea of restaking that is coming and, and how mm-hmm. users can, you know, earn two and three X yields while securing other proof of stake chains that don't have the same TVL, yep. uh, you know, through Ethereum's TVL and how DVT is going to play into that whole picture. Uh, with regard to decentralizing those nodes as well, I think I think there's a whole other story to be told there, but I don't have that story yet because it, it hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, that's that's I think one of the things uh, um, I, you had mentioned that in your roadmap and uh, as further down uh, as something that you. That's why I was asking earlier about uh, you know how whether you're looking at targeting other chains. But yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a great, uh, this was a great conversation and uh, it's a, it's a great stopping point. So I just wanted to thank you, Chris, for the conversation. Uh, it was very enlightening. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, Safe Stake and about DVTs. Uh, so thank you for uh, enlightening us. And, and quickly, Chris, I just want to mention that we'll be including the Safe Stake website in the show notes. But if there's anything else that you'd like to tell our audience, uh, where to find more information or anything else, please feel free to do so. Yeah, the only thing I'd like to say additionally to those that are out there listening is, again, we are in that final stage of testing, but it's not over. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like to join us and you know run an operator node or run a validator on Holesky, uh, operators are, there's some pretty good incentives for operator nodes on Holesky. The validator incentives don't kick in until the private mainnet, but it's always a good idea to get familiar with the technology first, and we will provide the whole ETH and the test DVT to do it. So it's pretty simple. We'd love to have more people join us uh, in this journey and uh, watch us go from testing right into... Uh, live on Ethereum mainnet. So give us a check, you know, check us out, go to the website. There's links there to join our test net. Uh, we'd love to see you guys there. Awesome. Absolutely. Once again, that was Chris Isaac from SafeStick. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.